Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Central. Good to see you guys. Come on, give Jesus a big hand clap today. Make sure you say hello to your campus pastors, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Stephanie. They're great people, and they might even take you out to lunch today if you just ask them real nice. If you're real sweet to them, um, I think they can take up to 25 at least, so uh, just make sure you visit. Hey, today is our life group launch. I'm excited about that. Also want to welcome all of our live streamers and Mecklenburg County Detention Center. Let's give it up for Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, New York, Washington, and all of the uh, residents there that are a part of our church. Come on, give them a big hand. Thank you guys for joining us. And I want to encourage you, I want to really encourage you to get, get signed up for a life group. It's really important that we break out of this whole isolation mindset that we can do it alone. You can't do it alone. You need some people. Um, you know, and life groups, I was talking to a couple in between service, and they were like, hey, I think we're going to try life groups. And I said, hey, go, you know, sign up for a few. You know, go to one or two, because there might be some weird people at them, and, and you might want to go to a different one. Or you might be the weird person that shows up, and somebody might want to go to a different one. I'm just saying, we all kind of have our own little dysfunction going on. Can I get an amen? Amen. Some of y'all are like, I'm not dysfunctional. I'm normal. And, um, yep, you're the one. So, anyway. Uh, Hey, we're in a series called Redo. And I want you to say this with me really loud. Say, to have a redo, you have to have a renew. Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, to have a redo, I have to have a renew. One of the most important things that you can do is understand how your thinking affects your life. How the way that we think as believers, um, or even if you're a non-believer, even if you're kind of kicking the, the tires of Christianity and trying to figure this whole thing out, your thinking determines your image, it determines your, uh, who you are, what you do, your future, it determines how you deal with your past, it determines how you deal in relationships. And in order to have a redo, which is what this whole series is about, 
you have to have a renew. Now, I'd encourage you to take some notes today. I got a lot of content. I'm going to share a lot of great things that are going to help us understand how to renew our thoughts. And it's progressive, okay? It is a progressive process. Whenever God heals us, Matter of fact, most of the healings that happened, even in the New Testament, Jesus' healings, were progressive. He would say, hey, go, and then they were healed. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, and then they were healed. Um, the, uh, most, of, most of the healings that you see in the Old Testament were progressive. They required action, and then there was the miracle that happened. Well, when it comes to changing the way we think, it starts as a progression. It just doesn't happen. Bam. You're just like, woo, I'm just great. It's like when you get saved, you don't just lose 15 pounds. pounds bam, I'm just skinny. Right? Like, I met Jesus. Oh, you look so skinny now. No, that didn't happen that way. All right? He didn't remove all the weight right away. You have to work on it a little bit and just kind of go to the gym and eat right and all that good stuff. So to have a redo, everybody say to have a redo, you have to have a renew. So take some notes. If you, if you brought your Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, cheat off a Christian if you didn't bring your Bible or open your eyelids and look at the screens behind me. Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says. He says that you put off, put off concerning your former conduct, way of life, mentality, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Let me read that part one more time. I want you to catch this. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Paul is beginning three chapters in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are about who we, we are. The last three chapters are how you live that out. So the first three chapters of Ephesians, very important book in the Bible, are about who we are. And the last three chapters are how you live who you are. This begins that. He starts, he starts telling us how we can live this out. And the first thing he says, you got to put something off. you got to take something off like you're taking off a coat. And then he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I want you to see this progression that God shows us. He says, in order to put off and then put on, there's a middle section called renew. So if we want to take our old life off, take our old way of thinking off, take our old conduct, our old manner of life off, and put on the new manner of life, the potential. God always sees us through the eyes of who we are, not who we were. We have to renew the way we think about ourselves. We have to renew the way that we think God thinks about us. We have to renew our mind. So to put off, put on, there's a renewing in the middle. Everybody say it with me one more time. To have a redo, you have to have a renew. Now this is the process, biblical word, of sanctification. Okay? Now let me explain it this way. In the garden, when Adam sinned, two things happened. Now, understand the picture, okay? Let's go back to Genesis. Everything that we deal with in our life, the foundation began in Genesis. Adam and Eve were living in this perfect society, this perfect moment, the Garden of Eden. God, in order to 
prove the love of humanity for him puts this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And he says to Adam and Eve, hey, don't eat of this tree. And the reason why he put it there, because I think it's a question we all ask, why did God tempt Adam and Eve? He wasn't tempting them. He was asking them to prove his love, their love for him because without choice, love doesn't exist. So we always have to have a choice. And so God gives us, and he gives you today, the ability to choose. You can choose him or not. By the way, there's no middle ground. Just want to make that clear. Either you're following God or you're not. There's no, well, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm kind of walking the fence. No. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you're lukewarm, you're like vomit. I don't want to be like vomit, okay? My dog threw up the other day on the couch. It's nasty. I don't want to be that. It's hard to clean up. It smells bad. Ugh, it's just, just gross. I don't want to be lukewarm. So you can't walk the fence. Either you're in or you're out. Okay, either you're following God or you're not following God. So he puts this tree in. He says, choose. Now, when Adam chose to disobey God, two very important things. When he sinned, two very important things happened. Number one, humanity became estranged from God. So we lost our relationship with God. We were in perfect union with God, and as a result of that disobedience, we lost our relationship. Now, the second thing that happened, very important, is that we, our image was distorted. Now, think about this. What was the first thing that Adam saw when he came to life? Think about it. What was the first thing? Now, the Bible tells us that God breathed life into man, right? <sighs> breathed life. Adam takes his first breath, <sighs> breathes him. What is, when his eyes open, what does he see? God. He sees the image in which he was created in because we were made in the image of God. So wouldn't it make sense for God to show us, first and foremost, the image in which we were created in? So when sin came, it put this block in between us and God and created this distorted image. So with that being said, what does salvation restore to you and me? Okay, first thing it restores relationship with God. So when Jesus went to the cross, his blood bought a way for you and me to now have communion with God, uninhibited communion. We can connect with God. We can walk right into the throne of God, right? Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. Aren't you thankful that it wasn't your responsibility to make that happen, right? Because you would have messed it up. I would have messed it up. Even Angelic Stephanie here on the front row would have messed it up for you. Even Randy. I mean, he's like, he's like an angel over here. So they would have messed it up. We would have messed it up. But Jesus, God, made a covenant with himself that couldn't have been broken. That's why he had to do it that way. So God came in the form of a man, went to the cross, died so that man could have fellowship again with God. So now we can go right into the very throne room of God and talk to God just like we are, just you and I are talking right now. However, the second thing that Jesus did when he went to the cross is he restored the image that had been distorted by sin. 
This is where the sanctification starts. So the first half is justification. Everybody say justification. That's God's part. Okay, we have, we have no, our, our, the only condition, if you even want to use that word, I hate to use that word, the only really framework in which we partake of that justification is because of our faith. Your belief gets you justified. However, sanctification is the process by which that image that God breathed life into us is restored. And you want that image. We want to see ourselves like God sees us. Because he doesn't see you as a failure. He doesn't see you as not successful. He doesn't see see you as disadvantaged. He doesn't see you as discouraged or depressed or full of fear. He sees you full of life and joy and hope and peace and love. And, and he, that's, that's how he sees you. He sees you moving forward and never going back. Are you following what I'm talking about here? That is the image of God. That is what, that's how we should see ourselves. And that is the process of salvation. That is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit revealing to us. How, do he, how does he do it? Through the word of God. It, it's really simple, but yet very complex. So what he says is he gives us the word of God. The word is a mirror that comes up before us. We look into that mirror and we go, oh my gosh, I can be that? And God says, yeah. (laughs) He gets all excited about it because he's going, you got it. You realized it. And then you look again. Every time you open the word, the potential is there for a new little shift in the recreated image that he made you to be. That that beginning, that he breathed life into you. You can open your eyes and every, every moment of every day is the potential for us to see the image that God created us in so we can continually walk in that. That's why, that's why Paul said, said this in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. There it is again. Put off, don't be conformed to the world. Did you know the world has an image that it wants you to live by? Did you know the devil would love for you to have the wrong, distorted image for the rest of your life? Sure, you can go to heaven, but let's just make life on earth hell. The devil would love that. Sure, you can go to church and hear the messages, but don't ever change. The enemy would love that. Love for you to stay conformed to the world. The way the world sees you, the way the world wants you to live, to squeeze, I like how the message paraphrase says, squeeze you into its mold. But Paul says, no, no, no. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Proverbs 3, verse 23, verse 7 says, as a man thinks, so is he. Your thinking is very important. So if you want to redo, you got to have a renew. Now, I'm going to give you just five words. And here's the cool thing. I mean, it's just, this is, they all start with R. Because I'm cool, all right? So they all start with R. And each one of these are a process by which you can put off and put on. Put off and put on by the renewing of your mind. So write these down and just, let, just think about these over the next few weeks, over the next few months. Think about these. Write these down. Get these in your heart. So that when, when the enemy, when the world poses 
an image to you, now you have something to fall back on and go, no, 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 I'm not going to accept that image. First is remove, remove. This is the put off. When we understand what I think becomes who I am, then I have to make sure that I'm thinking the way God thinks about me. So there's, there's some mentalities that we can pick up. First one I wrote down, and there's several of them, is small thinking. We just think small. We put God in a box. We say, God, you know, you can only operate in this realm. You can only do this amount of stuff. It happened. You, you can see all these examples through the scriptures. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses tells uh, that they want to enter into the promised land. Okay, the Israelites have been promised this land. Now, understand something about the promised land. Whenever you read the promised land, it's not talking about heaven. The promised land is not heaven. Or else, we just might as well just die and go there now. Like, evangelism would be, come in, we're going to take you out back, shoot you, you go to heaven. That's it. That would be evangelism. Okay, but that's not evangelism, okay? Evangelism is introducing people to a God who loves them and wants them to live a life that's like heaven on earth. Are you following me? And then convince as many people as they can to recognize, yes, there is a future called heaven, but I can live like heaven on earth no matter what storms, no matter what problems, no matter what challenges I go through. I can live in the promises of heaven. However, listen, a small thinking is taking that promise and shrinking it down and making it little, little, little. God's just little. No, he's not. The Bible says the universe is in the palm of his hand. That's pretty big. So Moses tells these 12 spies, I want you to go into the promised land. I want you to spy it out. They go in there. They go, oh, my gosh, this place is incredible, amazing. I mean, the fruit, the pomegranates, oh, they're just huge. The grapes are massive. It takes two of us to carry them. They're so big, and the milk and the honey, oh, my gosh. But there's some giants in the land. And they come back to Moses, and he says, what do you all think? And two of them are like, dude, I'm ready to go. Let's fight. Take them out. We're going to wear them out. But the other ten go, man. Hmm. And they make this statement. This is how you locate people by the way they think. You locate people by what they say. Because our thoughts come as a res- our, our, our vocabulary is determined by our thoughts. It says, this is what they said. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So when they went into the land that God had promised them, they went in small. And then they made this statement. And so were we in their sight. Okay, time out. Did they interview the giants? Excuse me, Mr. Giant. Um, What do you think we look like? No, they didn't. They made an assumption based on their own thinking what other people thought about them. That's small thinking. Here's a big one. Okay, big one. Victim thinking. Huge, huge. You can look at this through the life of Gideon. Gideon had a victim mindset. A victim says, well, that's my lot in life. Might as well give up. I'm done. This is what I got. A victim says, I I could never do anything significant in my life because I am damaged goods. There's something wrong with me. A victim always blames others for their situation. That's what a victim says. Don't shout me down because I'm telling the truth right now. I know this is not politically correct to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. 
because we need to get free from this victim mindset. Now, listen, listen. Everybody look at me. Say, I love you, Pastor. I'm not talking about one group of people because we all can adopt a victim mindset. And a victim says, it's your fault, not mine. It's your responsibility. If you blame everybody else for your life, you will never get out of where you are. You'll never get out of there. You'll never. Well, you don't know what I went through, victim. That's a victim mindset. Well, well, you don't know where I grew up. That's a victim mindset. Either God is God, and he is no respecter of persons, period, or he treats people differently. And the last time I read the Bible, he does not treat people differently. He is no respecter of persons. He doesn't see you based on your circumstances. He sees you based on the word of God, period. That's it. A victim is cynical and pessimistic. A victim feels powerless. A victim is people are against me and they are intentionally trying to hurt me. That's a victim. A victim thinks life happens to them rather than for them. Whole different mindset. All right, I'll stop talking about it because I know y'all getting mad at me, all right? Number three, negative thinking. Negative thinking, always being the half-empty kind of person. Negative Nancy, we know a couple of them. Every thought goes to, uh, uh, goes to the negative, complaining. Negative thinking lends itself to worry. Did you know that 98% of things that we worry about never happen? Anxiety is built around the stuff that doesn't even happen most of the time. Small thinking, victim thinking, negative thinking, defeated thinking. Defeated is I'll never win. I'll never make it. I'll always get the short end of the stick. I'm, I'm a failure even before I get started. I'll never get that job. That's, that's, that's a defeated thinking. I'll never get into that college. I'll never go to college. I'll never have enough money. I'll never buy a house. I'll always live in an apartment. That's, that's defeated thinking. That's a mentality that we have to remove from our life. Poverty thinking. Poverty is a lack mindset. There's never enough. A poverty mindset takes Tupperware to an all-you-can-eat buffet. That just doesn't make any sense. You can eat all you want, but I need to take some Tupperware. No, you can, you can stay there for the rest of your life if you want to. It's just kind of dumb, isn't it? Just to think about, why would the world would you take Tupperware? I'll never forget one time uh, early on in the church, we used to have everybody over for Thanksgiving dinner. We would have all, you know, because our church had 30, 40 people in it, so we just have them all over for Thanksgiving dinner. And so one time this guy shows up and he's got, he comes, I invited him to my house for dinner and he brought Tupperware to my house <laughs> for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Christy, that's just crazy. What, I mean, I, why in the world would you? I said, what, do you, what is that? He goes, Tupperware. I said, no, no, no. You can put that in your car. My leftovers are my leftovers. They're not your leftovers. If I want you to have leftovers, I will give you leftovers. But you don't bring Tupperware to my house for Thanksgiving dinner. A poverty mindset, poverty thinking is there will never be enough. So here's what happens to a poverty mindset. A poverty, person who thinks with a poverty mindset consumes everything they have in the moment because they never think that they're gonna have any more. Okay, so in essence, when I have a poverty mindset, I'm basically telling God, you can't take care of me. Selfish thinking. 
Always about myself, my wants, my desires. Selfishness and Christianity should never be in the same sentence. And then the last one, which is a big one, is shame thinking. Shame, shame. Shame creates an emptiness that we often try to fill with addiction. Now, shame is different than guilt. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is there's something wrong with me. Listen to me very closely. Listen to me very closely. Guilt will turn into shame. If you don't deal with guilt, and so how do we deal with guilt? We deal with it with repentance. The power of repentance, and by the way, repentance simply means to change your mind. That's all repentance means. It's, it's a changing of your mind. It's a 180 degree turn in the other direction. I'm gonna go in this different direction. I'm gonna think differently about this situation. So when it comes to sin, so if I do something wrong, a, cha- a repentance is I am no longer going to feed on that mindset. I'm going to turn in the other direction because I know that's not healthy for my image that God created me in. So sin will always try to tell you this is beneficial for the image that God created you when in reality all it does is create sorrow and heartache. And so guilt will turn into shame. And shame means I am flawed. Like there's something wrong with me. In John chapter four, Jesus was, uh, he he said, I needed to go, I need to go to Samaria. His disciples went to get some lunch. He's sitting by this well. This woman comes to him and they start having this conversation. And it gets to the point where Jesus calls her out and says, hey, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus' response was, that's right, you don't have a husband. You've had five. You're living with the six because what you've done your entire life because you don't feel worthy is you've just gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. And now you've given up on the covenant of marriage because you're so empty inside that you're trying to fill it with sex, you're trying to fill it with relationships, and they're failing you because the hole that you have will never be filled unless you fill it, and Jesus says, with me. Because so the only healing part, the only way you can get healed of shame is to recognize who we are in Christ. Or else you'll just keep going back to alcohol. You'll keep going back to drugs. You'll keep going back to sex. You'll keep going back to relationship. You'll keep going from job to job to job, city to city to city, church to church to church because there's an emptiness because of shame. And that's a mentality that we can get free from. All we have to do is remove it. Now, you don't remove it by thinking about it. For example, stop thinking about a red orangutan. Stop it. Don't think about that red. You're, think, you're already thinking about a red orangutan until I tell you to think about a blue elephant. Now, all you can think about is the blue elephant because now put a different thought in your head. I know it just, it's so, such a simple, we've heard it hundreds of times, but it's the same in regards to God's uh, putting off what, he, what, what we shouldn't be thinking and putting on. The only way that we are going to be able to re- Um, rebuild that image is to see ourselves in the way God sees us. And the only way to do that is through the word of God. That's the only way we can do it. Secondly, so remove. How do I remove? By adding what God said about me, what God thinks about you. What does God think about you? You're not a victim. 
You're a child of the living God. You're not, you're not poor. No, you're rich in Christ Jesus. You're not full of shame. There's nothing wrong with you. No, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. There's nobody like you on this planet. Every gift, every talent, every look, the twinkle in your eye, your cuteness, who you are, how tall you are, every hair on your head was put there by Almighty God and he loves you so much, he put you on this earth for a purpose that you're gonna fulfill in the name of Jesus. Are you with me? See, that's, that's, the, that's the way God sees you. That's how he sees you. And all the, those thoughts, when we, we start to meditate on that, boom, all those other ones are like, no way, I'm not thinking that way. I'll never be poor again in my life. I'll, I'll never think that way about myself in my life. And whenever those thoughts creep in, you go, no, 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 no. I'm not going to allow myself to be conformed. I'm not going to put that back on again. Secondly, write this down, is I have to reckon. Reckon. Reckon is a Bible word. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Likewise, you also, talking about us, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, let me explain it this way. 17, 1800s, if you were convicted of murder, the way in which you were sentenced is they would take the body that you killed and they would tie you to that body, face to face, body to body, arm to arm, leg to leg. And you would have to walk around, if you could even walk, you had to walk around with that body tied to you. So the reason why they would do that is because they wanted to convict you of the death that you committed by allowing that death to get on you. And eventually what would happen is the decomposing body would get infection all over you and you would end up dying because you were carrying around this dead body your whole time. So when Jesus, when God says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, many of us carry around our old dead self everywhere we go. And, the re and we feel like we can't ever get above water is because we're trying to tread water for two people. The person you're trying to be and the person you used to be that Jesus died to free you from. So today's the day, just clip him off. Clip her off and say, I'm done with you, old self. I got a new purpose, a new plan, and a new life that God wants me to live. Can I get an amen? Just clip him off. That old dead person that you don't need to live. There. Reckon yourself. The word reckon means to recognize, consider, acknowledge. Acknowledge what Jesus did. That this life is worth more. That's why, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when we step into Christ, when we step into all that he did, and we start to think like that, that old man just can't live there anymore. You're just removing him from your life. You're clipping him off. Those old habits, those old manner of life. You reckon yourself to be with God, with Christ, as opposed to acknowledging who you used to be. I'm not going to talk about him anymore. I'm not going to address him anymore. I'm not going to deal with him anymore. Are you, I, I'm, not, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm free from alcoholism. Are you following what I'm talking about? 
Okay, I am not a drug addict. I am not this. I am not that. I'm releasing that old man and I'm picking up who I am now who is in Christ. I am free. I am delivered. I am loved. I, I, I am accepted by God. Are, are you following what I'm saying? That, that's what it means to reckon, to reckon, to reconcile with God. That's what reconciliation is, is I am now reckoning, I am reconciling, I am acknowledging my relationship with Jesus so I can let go of who I am. Now, I think it's really interesting because the verse right before that makes a very, very strong statement. It says, regard no one according to the flesh. Can I just, just say something real quick about this, the, the, uh, the kind of challenge we're dealing with in our country about racism? Racism will only be erased when hearts are reconciled to God. Okay? To God. If we, listen to me, church. Listen to me, you watching online. If we think that racism is going to be removed by a president or legislation, we're wrong. It will never happen because it's a human issue. It's a human frailty. And the only way to remove it is to allow God to remove it. Everybody look at me for a second. If we're waiting for that to be fixed, racial reconciliation to happen, racial injustices to, be, to happen, to be fixed because of legislature, it's too late. You know how you deal with it? In the house, in your home. You deal with it in your home. It's mom and dad teaching kids what it looks like to do 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Regard no one according to, to the flesh. Well, you don't know what they did to me, victim. That's a victim mentality. Do you want to pass that on to your kids? Every time you blame somebody else. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Everybody say, I love you, Pastor. Because I know, I know I'm pushing some buttons right here. But we need to talk about this. We need to address these issues biblically. We can't just think of them outside. We can't extra biblicize. (laughs) Extra biblicize. I like that word. Extra biblicize something. You can't add to the word when it comes to this. Okay, if the word works, it works. I believe it works. So I'm gonna keep preaching the word. Whatever you wanna do, that's fine with you. I'm gonna keep preaching the word. The word of God works. So, so, so when we teach our kids, we teach our kids not to regard people according to the flesh. We don't tell them how bad black people are or how bad white people are or point out differences. No, no, you talk about what God created, how he created, and to look for the best in people. That's what you do. Because let's be, there's always gonna be a bad person because sin will always exist into the world. Now, when we get to heaven, we don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Okay, but we, we got some time. We all got some time before we get there. Nobody wants to exit today. We wanna spend some time here. Can I get an amen, right? All right, all right. That's going to happen. It's inevitable that you're going to spend some time in heaven. That's inevitable. But right now you got some time on the earth. Let's make it the best time we can ever expend and not focus all our attention on how much this person did or didn't do or, or prejudice or bigotry or whatever it may be. Let's be Christians and walk this out and reconcile people to God. Amen? 
Got about half of you with me. That's all right. I'll take half. Any, any, any day of the week, if Gideon could do it with 300, I'll take 50. We're New Testament now. Amen. We got the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Number three, write this down. I'm almost done. Is realize. Realize. This involves our position. Now, this is the putting on process. Okay, we just talked about really the putting off process. This is all in regards to renewing. If I want to redo, I got to have a renew. If I want to redo, I got to have a renew. So now I got to put on my position. Let me ask you a question. Do you know where you stand with God? Can I tell you where you stand with God? He loves you. Period. He loves you. You're accepted just the way you are with God. He loves you. You don't know what I did. Doesn't matter. He loves you. His love doesn't change. You mean, you mean I can do whatever I want? That's not what I said. Don't put words in my mouth and don't put words in God's. He loves you, period. That's your position. That's where it all begins from. When I stand in the position, do you think Jesus ever questioned that he was not God's son? Not one time. Never did he go, gosh, I wonder if I was God's son. He always stood in the position of knowing that his father loved him and had put him on the earth for a purpose. Church, let's stand in that position. Now, everything on this planet is going to try to steal that position, try to move you away from that position. But I love what Psalms 27, 10, 10 says. This, Even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. What a great promise from God. God's love is the medicine that will heal any hurt that we have. Number four is remember. Remember. Remember all the times God has moved on your behalf. In, in, in the Bible, they would build altars, wells, and monuments. And the purpose of those uh, significant places were to, when they walked by them, they could remind their kids of exactly what happened in that moment. So they'd walk by this pile of rocks, and the kid would go, man, look at that pile of rocks. And, and the dad would go, no, 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 stop, stop right here. You know what this pile of rocks means? Many, many years ago, the children of Israel were on this side of the Jordan River, and Joshua was their leader. And they built this pile of rocks because they crossed over into the promised land. And you know what, son? You know what, daughter? You know what, family? The reason why we are entered into this promised land is because of what your forefathers did. And this is the monument. I want you to always, every time you walk by this monument, I want you to remember what God did for you. And then they walk by another one. You remember this? You see this well right here? Well, Isaac dug this well because there was contention between the peoples of this and, and, and him. And, and Abraham came along and they fixed this contention and they dug this well. And so now we can draw water out of here because of what your father Isaac did. And you can remember this moment. Let me ask you, do you have some moments that you can pull up when you feel discouraged, when you feel a little bit down, that you can pull up and go, well, I remember this pile of rocks in my life where God did this in my life, and now I can look at that. I can lean on that. I call them pillars, pillars. I've got a bunch of pillars in my life that whenever I go through a moment, I can always lean on one of those pillars. One of them is when God healed my daughter, Cabell, uh, of brain tumors, 
You'll never talk me out of God's healing power. Never. I never will you ever tell me any different that God doesn't heal. He always heals because he showed up in a hospital room. Whenever I go to a hospital, I just think, man, this is God healed my daughter in a room just like this. And I remember that moment. I remember in 1993, in the middle of a snowstorm in February, I was in a bathroom and God called me in the ministry. I'll never forget it. Whenever I doubt it, whenever I stand on the side and go, I wonder if I got the right message, I can just remember, I just go to the bathroom. And I remember what God did in 1993. Whenever I'm a little discouraged about church, I'll come in here by myself and I'll stand on this platform and I'll say, look what the Lord has done. Look what God has done. Look at the building that he's built. Look at the land that he's occupied. If ever I'm doubt of God's provision, I'll just remember. I'll just go back in my memory to that pile of rocks where that guy slid that piece of paper across the table. And he said, hey, I want to give you a building. You can build a church. And I'm like, really? You want to give a building to me? You want to do that for me? And I'll never forget. Got to have some memories. Remember what God has done for you. Write them down. Keep them in your back pocket for a little while. Whenever you just pull them out and just read them out loud for the devil to hear what God has done in my life. Amen. I'm preaching way better than y'all saying amen today. 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Here's the last one, is you gotta replace Come on, say it with me. To have a redo, I gotta have a renew. If I wanna renew, I gotta replace. The only way to renew my mind is to replace those thoughts with God's thoughts. So I replace jealousy with celebration. If ever I feel jealous of somebody, I just start celebrating. Even if I don't feel like it. Even if I don't want them to, I mean, I'm like, I should have got that. You got a new car? I should have got a new car. You know what I do? I purposefully will celebrate. You know, pa- pastors, I know you may not believe this. You know, pastors deal with jealousy every now and again. One of my friends will text me and say, man, you're not going to believe what God did this weekend. I'm like, I don't really want to hear it. It was terrible. It was a horrible week this week at Freedom House. I mean, sound kept going off and, and just, you know, people acted like knuckleheads and it was just... I don't even want to be in ministry anymore. And then, you know, <laughs> and they were like, man, it was God showed up and 50,000 people got saved. I'm like, golly, what am I, what is wrong with me? I didn't have anybody get saved. Three people walked out in the middle of my message. <laughs> I get jealous. So you know what I do? Man, I'm so excited for you. And if I don't feel like, I'll call them and go, man, I'm so excited for you. Man, I'm so God. I'm so glad that God did that in your life. Whenever you feel jealousy, you know what you replace it with? Celebration. Whenever you feel offended, you know what you do? Forgiveness. I forgive you. I forgive you. Even when you don't, you know, forgiveness has nothing to do with feelings. It's an act of faith. What if I don't feel it? Keep saying it. Keep saying it. How do you know when forgiveness? is actually good for you when you stop feeling it. When the pain of that offense goes away, now you are finally in a place where forgiveness, because it's already done. 
in regards to God. You've released them by faith. And so then the feelings will follow after that. Sometimes it takes years for that to happen. Replace bitterness with blessing. Replace contention with joy. Replace temptation with obedience. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night and day and night and day and night and day and night. You see the pattern? Put off, renew, meditate day and night, and put on. He shall be like a tree planted by water, by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So, I'm going to give you three thoughts to think this week. Three thoughts. Stand up on your feet. I want you to get these. Three thoughts. If you're at home, stand up. Get up from the couch. Put your coffee down. Wake up. Get out the bed. Three thoughts. Okay. And I want you to, I want, we're going to say these out loud. And, and let me just explain. Why, why do I get you to repeat stuff out of your mouth? I've said this bunch of times but I want you to understand why I do it I believe that the greatest faith you'll ever hear comes out of your own mouth so when you speak faith when you speak words of faith out of your own mouth and you hear it with your own ears because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so when you speak you not me because listen my faith will work for you sometimes your faith will work for you all the time all the time so when you, that's why I get you to repeat it. So I don't want you to think I'm like some school teacher just trying to get you to remember something. No, I'm trying to build faith in your spirit. I'm not preaching to your face. I'm preaching to your heart. Because if I were preaching to your faith, I would have given up face. I would have given up a long time ago. Because y'all give me some weird looks up here. I'm just letting you know. So here's the first thought I want you to think. I can do all things through Christ. Come on, say it with me. First thought. Come on, say it with me. Say, I can do all things through Christ. All together, let's say it. I can do all things through Christ. One, two, three. I can do all things through Christ. One more time. I can do all things through Christ. You know what that means? I can walk away from that addiction. I can walk away from my past. I can step into God's potential. I can step into the future. I can step into everything you have for me. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Thought number two, God loves me just the way I am. Let's read it together. One, two, three. God loves me just the way I am. One more time. God loves me just the way I am. One more time. God loves me just the way I am. Here's here's this little hint. God loves you just the way you are, but he doesn't want you to stay that way. But hey, God loves me just the way I am. And if you choose to stay just the way you are, he'll still love you. I can do all things through Christ. Come on, say it with me. I can do all things through Christ. God loves me just the way I am. And then number three, God, I trust you 
have a plan for my life. Come on, say it with me. God, I trust you have a plan for my life. I trust you, God. You have a plan for my life. Can we do all three real quick? Number one, I can do all things through Christ. God loves me just the way I am. God, I trust you have a plan for my life. Lift both hands to heaven. Father, we thank you that today we're building faith. We're building faith. We're building faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father, we thank you that we can do all things. We can do all things through Christ. God, thank you that your love surpasses our understanding. It surpasses our problems, surpasses our situations, surpasses our failures, surpasses our sins. God, you love me just the way I am. God, I thank you. I may not know my plan, but I know you have a plan for me. I may not know what my next step is, but God, I trust you have ordered it in the Lord. You have ordered it already. God, I thank you that you give me a lamp to see the light of your word. And every step that I take, God, you're planting me in the right place. You're putting me among the right people. You're connecting me in the right partnerships, the right relationships, the right place, God. You, it, it is your will, God. I'm following in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, and maybe today's the day where you walk away from that old life, that old person, that old person of sin, Jesus died for you. His blood washes you of all your mistakes and all your problems, all your sins. That's the power, the power of the blood of Jesus is his love. He, he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. If you're here today and you want to accept that incredible sacrifice, you want to say yes to Jesus. God, I believe you sent your son to die for me. I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. You're tired of being independent. You're ready to put your dependence on God. Give your whole life to him. Your whole life to him. Just like Pastor Aaron said, pouring out your whole life. No, it won't cost you a whole life salary. It'll cost you your whole life. Give him everything. It's a good trade, I promise. I promise it's a good trade. You give your life and he'll give you his. It's a good trade. Just give him your life. If that's you, just put your hand on your heart. If you're watching online, put your hand on your heart. If you're in the detention center, put your hand on your heart. God's saving power is here right now. Just say this with me. Church, can we just say this all together? Pray this prayer out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today, I give you my life. I'll follow you. I'll worship you. And I'll serve you forever. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen. Come on, give God some praise. for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House 
and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.